2: On News Radio 680 WPTF.
1: And I'm Doug Lewis, Certified Financial Planner.
2: And I'm Deborah Lewis, Certified Financial Planner.
3: And we're here to answer your questions for the next hour.
1: Hi, Margie. This is Doug Lewis, Certified Financial Planner. How can I help you?
4: Hello. Thanks for taking my call. I'm calling concerning my mother. Um, she is 85 and draws about $550 a month in Social Security. Mm-hmm. Uh, she needs approximately $400 additional in monthly. Uh, to meet her monthly expenses, she has approximately one hundred and forty thousand invested in CDs. Is there something that would uh, be safe but still generate uh, a better interest rate than that? Four hundred
1: and fifty a month. She needs. Yes. Well, yeah, she could get probably double or triple that. She could probably, if she wanted to, with one hundred and forty thousand dollars. Yeah, she could probably get about nine hundred a month. And h- how so? Well. Here's the way to approach it, Margie. You say she's 85 years old? Correct. Okay. And uh, is she married or is she widowed? She's a widowed. She lives at home. Lives at home. By herself or with you? By herself. What what else does she have besides 140,000 in CDs? She she owns her home. She owns her home. How much is her home worth?
4: Probably 90,000.
1: 90,000. Anything else or is that it? That's it. Okay. So she's got a modest set of assets. You know, and you have to think of your mom first before thinking of you guys and your inheritance. You know what I'm saying? So I'm going to tell you how to think of her first. At age 85, it's not likely that we're going to give your mother 15 years of life expectancy. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. Now maybe she will have it. You could take out $1,500 a month, and if those funds never, ever grew at all, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> then you'd then you'd last eight years. Mm-hmm. She's not going to be able to spend that, is she? No. So therefore, you could uh, you could put it into a conservative investment, conservative portfolio of funds. On the other side, what's probably going to happen is the one hundred and forty thousand is going to give her the extra four fifty a month that she needs, and over the next eight years, it would probably end up being over two hundred thousand.
4: So you're saying mutual funds.
1: Uh-huh, but you, do, you don't want to do this on your own. You want to meet with a certified financial planner to help you select the kinds of mutual funds that are suitable for her. I think something that would be safer. Yes, yeah, in other words, mutual funds are sort of like wives. When you go out to get married, well, you wouldn't know that. You're, you're a woman. But when a man goes to get married, he can choose all kinds of women to marry. There are some that are riskier than others. I happen to pick a winner. Okay. <laughs>
2: Why, thank you, dear.
1: Some guys, they do it another way. They go ahead and try to get the <laughs> flashiest thing in town, and they're going to go ahead in the wild and the crazy. That's high risk. That might work, but it might not work. The same thing with mutual funds. Mutual funds don't have to be real risky. There are conservative mutual funds also. Appreciate your help. <laughs> yeah. Well, listen, if you would like some help uh, personally, call my office during the week. That number at the office is 872-7000. That's 872 7000 and we'll see about an appointment to meet with you or have another financial planner meet with you and show you how to actually do it step by step if you like thank you for your help yeah take care
2: Margie and Bye. write down your questions and have a good day thank you Bye-bye. maybe we could go over some of the basic financial planning issues that some people wonder about for example how much should you have in your emergency fund some people wonder how much should they have sometimes I get people that call in and they've got 60000 in their money market, or they have maybe 20000 but they're not, you know, how do you calculate?
1: That's a great question, Linda. As a matter of fact, many people don't even have the concept of an emergency fund. Some have no money in money market, and some have far too much. You're right. The key is to determine an emergency fund, and that emergency fund is simply money that you're willing to leave earning virtually no interest, two and a half, three percent 3% interest, but it's there for emergencies only. That's usually supposed to be a multiple of living expenses. In other words, if we have computed the client's living expenses to be $3,000 a month, then we should have a multiple of that 3000 For example, if they are young, two earner income, no children, I would take three times that multiple or a multiple of three times that factor. So three times three would be 9000 maybe at the most $10,000 in a money market account just for emergency. That would be their emergency fund. On the other hand, if a client is retired, then I would take a multiple of six. I would have six months of emergency. So if it was $3,000 for the retired couple, I would keep 18000 in an emergency fund. Any more than six months is usually too much. And any less than three months is usually too little.
2: So you're saying have that emergency fund in a liquid account, like a money market account or a savings account?
1: Well, the term liquid, Linda, is broader than money market. Liquid investments are available too, like stocks and mutual funds, but that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about liquid accounts where the value can never go below $1 a share, such as a savings account, a checking account, Or a money market account. Okay, so... Three to six months of living expenses.
2: All right. Well, that sounds good. Then everybody should make sure that if they have too much, that maybe they need to do something with that excess, right?
1: If they have more than that amount, then they need to be positioning their money to where it's growing for them. If they have less than that amount, then they need to make sure before they do any investing, they build up to a multiple of between three and six months.
2: And if any of our listeners need some information, you can call me at the office at 8727000, 8727000, and we'll be happy to send you some information or give you the instructions on how to set this up.
3: Well, that's one of my favorite topics how to get started. Uh, we get that question frequently, don't we, Doug?
1: We really do, Deborah. And the question is not a matter of time. Emergency fund has. Has to be a topic at the beginning topic of any financial planning engagement, whether it was twenty years ago, thirty years ago, or twelve months ago. Absolutely. But the question is answered sometimes in a very strange way. A lot of people they think it's three times the monthly income. I hear a lot of people say, "Why? I know I'm supposed to take three times my monthly income for my emergency fund." No, 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 no. It's not three times the monthly income. It's not the income. It's three times the monthly expenses.
3: Call me, Deborah Lewis, Certified Financial Planner at Lewis Financial Management. 919-872-7000. 919-872-7000.
1: And then we have to go further. It's not and just all of the expenses. Right. Yeah, it's not a matter of saying, well, I spend 120,000 a year, therefore divide that by uh 12 months, that's $10,000 a month, so I need 30,000 in emergency. But no, 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 that's not the right way because your expenses break into categories, don't they?
3: They do. And you're going to have expenses that you pay on a regular monthly basis. Right. I usually coin those as ones where we know we're going to get 12 bills a, month, a year. You know, it's our utilities, our food, our car payment, our house payment, all of these things that we know we're going to pay every month.
1: And even Correct. if they're not fixed and guaranteed, that got to be, it's your lifestyle, like the pizzas that you eat.
3: Correct. Uh, going to the grocery store. might be right. more expensive one month, but there's not a month I'm going to, I'm not going
1: to eat. Right. So what would... So what, would be, what would be an example of expenses that are not part of those?
3: Oh, my uh, car insurance payment. Or All right. My, or my vacation.
1: Or your gifts. Or my gifts. gifts. Or your clothing.
3: Any of the things that I know that I'm not going to spend every month
1: So what we have to do is we have to come down to what are those recurring monthly Monthly expenses. We call them at Lewis Financial Management. We call them the RMEs and take that figure and multiply times Times three. three. And then we have the proper emergency fund. Because as we said back at whatever year we did that, well, we said that if you have too much, the money is just sitting there wasting, doing nothing. Mm -hmm. Right. We don't want that to be happening either.
3: Right. So you really have to know your own living expenses. What does it cost for me to pay my bills for three months and have that set aside? Right. If exactly. if, if you're if you're if you're a dual income family. Now, if if you're a two income family, it might be three. Uh, with
2: one person, it might be six.
1: So the comfort level is going to override that one, right? True. That is
2: true. It's, true. It is the comfort level of the individual because some folks, if they have several million. They like a little bit more money right. as a cushion. I saw
1: somebody last week. He has over 200000 in cash. And, of course, it's that's foolish. It's foolish. He just didn't know what to do. But he doesn't need $200,000 in cash for emergency expenses. Right, right. Just, and so we need to help them. We need to help them find out what is the amount that gives you the proper comfort. To, and balance. And the balance.
3: And you know what else is interesting about an emergency fund? Because you began with, well, if my income is 120000 therefore that would be about $10,000 a month that I'd be spending if I averaged it. Right. What we find out is, is that when you fine-tune what your living expenses are, you're in reverse fine-tuning what you really have that's left over. That's right. Because there might be 9 out of 12 months to where you only – have reoccurring monthly expenses, and there might be three or four, but much fewer where you have one-time, large, discretionary, or fixed non-monthly expenses.
1: The rest of the month, you can be investing on what we call the Pay Yourself First Plan.
3: If you'd like further information, call us at 919-872-7000 or go to our website, DougAndLinda.com. That's
1: DougAndLinda.com. Mike, Doug Lewis, a certified financial planner, how can I help you?
5: If I want to get into um, financing a college education for a very young child, I've heard that using tax-free uh, municipal zero coupons might be a good way of locking in an interest rate uh, rate of return. What's your opinion on that?
1: How old are you? 31. You're 31 years old, married or single? Uh, married. Married. How many children, just one? Just one. One child. How old's the child? One. Child's one year old. All right, what's your income, Mike? It's yeah, over Mike. 65. Income is sixty-five thousand. Is your wife working or not? Yes. Okay. What's her income? Uh, about forty. About forty. So combined family income of the two about one hundred and five thousand. Mm-hmm. And are either of y'all working for companies that you're worried about shakeouts or anything, or you feel pretty solid? Oh, I don't think so. Okay. What have uh, you got built into your investment portfolio for yourselves and for your child, your child right now? Well, we both participate
5: in four hundred and one k programs with our companies.
1: All right, let me give you a little bit of advice as far as four oh one Ks that you participate in. Do not under any circumstances plan on using that for your child's college education. Even though a lot of people do it, don't even think of it. It it will be a disaster for and you. Why not? Because you are trying to go ahead and make one animal serve two purposes and you'll be stealing from Peter to pay Paul, so to speak. You won't it won't work. And I could show you, if I were in my office, show you how compound rates return and paybacks on simple rates of return because you're paying back one way and you're borrowing and you're losing on another. But just take it from me that your retirement money is for your retirement, not for your college education, for your children. Okay. Okay? So now, all right, so you've got your 401Ks on, your, on you and your wife. And about how much is accumulated there?
5: Oh, let me see here. I would guess not a whole lot because we're Cause both relatively new with the new companies that we're with. Okay. Um, a nominal amount, I would say.
1: All right. How about, how about your own personal investment portfolios? Have you started at all yet?
5: Yeah, I've got a little bit. I would say about 25000 invested in the marketplace and in equities,
1: all right. individual stocks. All right. Uh, again, uh, my personal view on your own investment portfolio, which has to do two things for you. It's got to supplement your retirement plans for your own personal financial independence. And it's also got to pay for your children's college. I would not be in the individual stocks. I would be in mutual funds, which are managed pools, of course. Mm -hmm. I think you're wiser there and safer there in planning for yourself. Now, when you come back to how do you educate a child with investment money, again, I would go with the managed pools rather than playing a zero-coupon bond. What a zero-coupon bond basically is, it is simply saying that if you hold it all the way through to maturity – you know exactly how much will be waiting for you. Well, what you're giving up there is the very thing that you're looking for, and that's what we call compound interest. The compound rate of return, which is what Einstein called the eighth natural wonder of the world, is where money grows on top of money, grows on top of money, but a zero-coupon bond has no compound return. It's simply going to go and do all the way exactly along a straight-line curve. Okay. With $105,000 income, I would look for maximum growth, i take the volatility. I wouldn't worry too much about, you know, trying to be super conservative, which is really what you're doing there. The tax benefit is just, that's a little icing on the cake, but you'll lose if you go ahead and use any numbers. Mm-hmm. You know, you could get a pure growth fund, as a matter of fact, and they have no dividend income, and all you'd be paying tax on is the gain. Mm-hmm. You see what I'm saying? Right, so you would put the money in some kind of... With a one-year-old child, if I were you, with the numbers you've given me, I'd have it in an international growth fund.
2: You've got lots of time on your hands.
1: You've got 17 years. That's a lot of money to give up by taking maybe a 5% compound hit, which is what you'd be losing. Right. You see what I'm saying? Well, that does sound, I was wondering about that. That does sound
5: like a good idea.
2: And if you have further questions, Mike, call the office in Raleigh at 919-872-7000. That's 919-USA-7000. I'll be happy to send you some information, even a brochure on college funding.
1: Thanks. Okay. Thanks for calling.
2: Okay, Doug, what is a charitable remainder trust?
1: Well, our charitable remainder trust, Linda, is a tax-advantaged, irrevocable trust that can provide the client with a lifetime income stream and immediate tax benefits. And the trust principal is ultimately going to go to some sort of a charity, but the charity is going to be directed and chosen by the client to occur after the client's death. And many people that I recommend charitable remainder trust for are people in their 30s or 40s or 50s. What, with sizable estates? Actually, they don't even have to have sizable estates. It is simply a tool that can offer many benefits. The predominant benefit is a lifetime income stream starting now, a check, a check a month, if you will, a check a quarter, a lifetime income stream, and also some real strong Tax benefits.
2: Well, does a charitable remainder trust offer other benefits?
1: It does offer other benefits besides those two main benefits, one being a lifetime of income and the other some nice tax benefits now. Because it's irrevocable, it also, after you die, is not subject to probate, avoids 100% of all estate taxes, and is free in most cases from creditor claims.
2: You said it avoids 100% of estate taxes?
1: 100% of estate taxes. Sounds not, like magic. <laughs> not subject to probate. And also, a lot of people are worried about creditor claims. It is. It puts your assets, pick a doctor or a professional who's worried about lawsuits, it can move the assets into a position for the rest of your life where creditors can't attack them.
2: Well, let's look at this a little bit more specifically. What type of client could benefit from a charitable remainder trust?
1: Well... First type of client that comes to my mind, Lynn, is a client with what we call highly appreciated assets. That's fancy language for anything that's grown in value. Maybe it's a a farmer who's got a piece of tobacco land and it's grown in value tremendously, uh, much more than he paid for it 20 or 30, 40 years ago. It could be a man who's got a stock portfolio or a woman who's got a stock portfolio and it's grown very high. It's called highly appreciated assets and they want to increase their income. They want to reduce their income taxes, and at the same time, they're afraid of paying the capital gains tax, and they're worried how to go ahead and shift it from something that's not producing much income to something that is producing income and avoid all of the capital gains tax. That type of person is the first one that comes to my mind.
2: Well, how soon will the charitable remainder trust generate income?
1: If you wish, the charitable trust can actually begin paying you almost immediately and can go on for. Uh, quarterly payments or semi-annual payments, most of the ones that I set up for clients and that I recommend, Lynn, pay quarterly for the rest of the client's lives.
2: Okay. Now, can the income that's generated pass to the children or others?
1: Yes. As a matter of fact, the charitable trust can provide income for the client's life plus another 20 years, that's the maximum you can get, another 20 years to the children or to anyone else after the client's death. And
2: how is the income taxed? Because we're looking at money that's coming out of the trust, right?
1: That's the His real. Yeah, that's right, Lynn. And that's the real confusing issue. It's extremely complicated. Of course, the client doesn't have to worry about it. But on the other hand, it is the real sizzle to a charitable trust. The income is called four-tier accounting income. And the income earned inside this trust and then paid out to the client is paid out first as ordinary income. And then second is capital gains income and then third as tax-free interest income, and lastly, return of principal income. But most commonly, 90% of the income coming out of a trust is going to be taxed as plain old ordinary income.
3: This is Deborah Lewis, Certified Financial Planner at Lewis Financial Management. Our number at the office is 919 872 Call me at 919
2: well, this is a wonderful strategy for someone. Didn't we have one listener who had a situation where he had inherited a sizable amount of stocks from a relative? Mm-hmm. And the thought of having to sell these stocks after many, many years of ownership, and, you know, of course, it was gifted to him before his relative's death. But the thought of cashing in these stocks was a monster problem with taxes, right? Right.
1: He was scared. He was in the stock market. He was scared. Didn't want to stay in the stock market. It was too high. Wanted to get out and move into something more conservative. But his accountant had told him, if you do, you're going to have to pay such a big hunk of capital gains tax because it's made so much profit for you that you can't come out. So he was just stuck as far as he was concerned. You're right. That's a classic case, and that worked out beautifully in his case.
2: Because he did gift The stocks into the trust, Into the
1: trust, and yet he kept control of the trust. For the rest of his life, he will control this thing. But in addition, he also got a tax deduction for doing it and then got to sell the stocks 100% tax-free of capital gains tax.
2: Well, how is the tax deduction calculated?
1: Well, now, for moving the money into his own trust, there's a special IRS formula used to determine what's called the future value of a present gift. And this formula takes into account the present value of the gift and the donor's age and the income payment that he selects that he wants to have back to him. And then this criteria determines the value of the gift received at some time in the far distant future by the designated charity. And that's the tax deduction that you get for doing it today.
2: So you get the tax deduction, but you also get the benefit of if you invest that money within the trust,
1: avoiding all the capital gains tax, and you get all the income.
2: Okay, well, that's great. And are these contributions to the Charitable Remainder Trust revocable?
1: That's the kicker, Lynn. They are not revocable. Since the IRS allows the avoidance of all capital gains taxes and also gives you a current, that's this year, charitable tax deduction, there must be an irrevocable guarantee that the gift will be received by a qualified charity sometime in the distant future.
2: Can more than one charity be named as a charitable beneficiary of a charitable remainder trust?
1: Lynn, the beauty of the charitable remainder trust, and a lot of people don't realize this, is you can set up one of these trusts. You can designate that you're going to control this thing for the rest of your life, and you can even say that the charity that you identify can be changed also. You can change your mind a million times during your lifetime and keep changing charitable beneficiaries or add different ones on. It doesn't have to be one. It can be changed many times, and there is nothing that can't be changed as long as they are still qualify as charities.
2: What assets can be transferred to fund the Charitable Remainder Trust?
1: Actually, Lynn, most any asset that doesn't have any mortgage or any debt on it can be transferred to a Charitable Remainder Trust. There is caution and assistance that's recommended in transferring assets like real estate and closely held stock of businesses. That's another one that's a really wonderful idea. It's a way to pass your family business on and avoid the capital gains tax. But when you're dealing with those types of things called hard-to-value assets, you really need to work with a professional to make sure that it's done properly. But basically, any asset can be transferred as long as it doesn't have debt.
2: Can only a portion of a particular asset be transferred into the Charitable Remainder Trust?
1: It can. You don't have to transfer the entire thing. This can be accomplished with the Charitable Remainder Unit Trust, And the client can choose to fund only part of the asset or the assets into the trust, and then later on can start adding a little more. You don't have to do the whole thing now. You can say, well, I think I want to move some into my charitable trust now, and then add more. What about being a trustee? Can a client be his
2: own trustee?
1: Actually, that's the real strength that not many people are aware of. A charitable remainder unit trust, of course, like any trust, is controlled by the trustee. But yes, you, the donor, can be your own trustee. Now, a donor may want to have a co-trustee who would also have an understanding of the duties of a trustee in case he became incapacitated or he wanted to. And very often, when I have a co-trustee, Linda, I set it up as the spouse, the client. His spouse could be the co-trustee, or it could be a child. Have his child as the co-trustee.
2: When a person has an asset, they probably want to retain some amount of control.
1: If they shouldn't, then I'm going to tell them when they come to see me. You want to have a hundred percent control as much as possible in every situation of your financial life. Never give up control, if at all possible. Work with a financial planner that can show you how you can keep control of all of your lifetime assets and your afterlife assets also by doing certain type of estate planning and lifetime planning.
2: Okay, well, I think that's a wonderful strategy. And if anyone has any other questions regarding the Charitable Remainder Trust or trusts in general, do give us a call at the office and we'll be happy to answer your questions. The number at the office is area code 919 That's 919-USA-7000.
1: John, this is Doug Lewis, Linda Lewis, Deborah Lewis. Where the Lewis is here for you tonight, how can we help you?
5: Well, good evening, y'all. Uh, I've got a question for you. I, uh, I'm getting a lot of feedback, by the way. I think your you're honest can hear it.
1: You're getting feedback. I wonder why. Are you on a Are you on a car I, phone? I, yes, sir. I hear the screener talking. Actually, you hear the who talking. It sounds like your
5: your call screener is talking. But anyway, I get to the question.
1: No, there's time. nobody talking here.
5: Okay. Anyway, the question is: um, I had a surprise. had uh, a uh, you know, surprise piece of mail saying that a company a company I worked for for uh, for two years uh, has has pension money for me. And that uh, as of December, in December, I was going to start getting a $300 a month. So, which sounded great. By the way, I'm hearing that voice again. But, um, are,
2: are you on a cell phone or on a car phone?
5: Yes, but it's not on the speaker. It's actually someone speaking. I can hear him talking in the background there. You're not hearing it because you're on the air. But anyway, I'll try to get through this and ignore it. So
1: here's the question. Yeah, try your best because it, it's really hard to hear you very clearly because we're getting a lot of feedback from you. It's like an echo. But go ahead. I heard you say that you found that the, some old pension money was discovered and they're sending it back to you in monthly payments?
5: No, they. it was a surprise that I even have a pension with the company. I didn't even know it. Okay. So so they said I can take a $47,000 cash payout right. or a $300 a month uh pension check. Right. And um of course as a cash payout I can I can roll it over or I can take it in cash. So the question is what should I do with it?
1: All right well tell me a little bit about yourself. I think I know where I'm gonna go on this, but tell me a little bit about yourself. How old are you? You said it's uh John, 63. right? You John, you're sixty three. Yeah. All right. You married or single? Married. All right, you're married, are you retired or working? Retired? Your wife working or retired? Uh, Working part time. Retired. Okay. In terms of y'all's income, you're drawing Social Security, now? Yes. Okay. What's your Social Security income you're getting? Uh,
5: About seventeen
1: twenty. About seventeen twenty a month. Yes. All right. And how about your wife? Is she drawing Social Security yet? No. Okay. What does your investment portfolio look like in turn on the non-retirement side now? Um,
5: it's
1: about $500,000. right. So you've got 500000 in non-qualified money, and then what about in your four, in 401k, IRA, or all of your retirement monies, your qualified money?
5: Hmm. Um, the 401k, I've just got a small 401k, because it's already been rolled out. I've already rolled out of the 401k. Right. Uh, and uh, I can't give you the exact number. It may be around uh, 700000 Oh, okay.
3: Call me, Deborah Lewis, Certified Financial Planner at Lewis Financial Management. Call me at
1: 919-872-7000. 919-872-7000. Here's my answer. You do not need to try and get a guaranteed annuity payment, which is what they're offering you. The three hundred a month is what, it's what we call an annuity payment. I like to talk about chickens and eggs when I teach about investments, Mike, uh, John, excuse me. And so here's the story. If the investment is your chicken and the income is your egg, an annuity is where you give your chickens to an insurance company and then they give you eggs but they keep the chickens. Your chickens here are $47,000. They're saying that if you go ahead and let them have the forty seven thousand dollars, they'll give you three hundred bucks a month. Yeah. Well, you don't need that. you've got a million two in investments from your million two, you certainly can draw enough to go ahead and support yourself, correct? Yes, right As a matter of fact, if you were one of my clients, you would probably we'd be able to get you probably over fifty thousand a year in income and and so with that kind of income available to you, plus your Social Security, take the 47000 and roll it into your IRA tax-free. Now you keep right. the chickens and you keep the eggs. And guess mm-hmm. what? When you die, that money passes to your children. It does not on the annuity side. If you get the three hundred dollars a month, it doesn't go to your kids. So don't disinherit the kids. You don't need to disinherit them. Keep your chickens and the eggs and that way, you get the best of both worlds. Does Does that okay. make it all sense to you, Mike, John? <laughs> he keeps calling Absolutely. you Mike. Your name is John. You know why? John. Mike was the previous caller. That was the one with the zero I... coupons. Okay. <laughs> that was the, yeah, the <laughs> call. <laughs> right, John. Well, I'm... Per, perfect
2: co-
1: sense.
2: Yeah, congratulations on the surprise pension.
5: Yeah, what a shock. I only worked for them for two years.
2: Yeah, I think that's wonderful. You're the
1: second person who's told us that. In the last week, isn't that funny? Somebody else told us the same thing. Yeah,
3: yeah, something very similar. <laughs> That's
1: weird. That's wonderful.
3: That's a gift. <laughs>
5: yeah, yeah, absolutely. My wife does want a new kitchen, though.
1: Huh? <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll, well, I'll tell you what. You come in to see us. Write down our office number. My office number is 919 I will show your wife how to get her kitchen and keep the 47,000. And go ahead and leave it for the kids. You can have all of those things together. It's not too hard. We'll call you next week or this week. <laughs> Sounds good. <laughs> <laughs> thank Thanks. you very much.
2: And thank you so much for calling, John. You have a
1: wonderful week. You too. Bye bye. Thank okay. you.
2: Bye bye. You're listening to Money Matters with the Lewises on News Radio six eighty WPTF.
1: What's new in the world of estate planning?
2: Well Doug, how does a living trust work?
1: Well, just like a will, a living trust will enable you to control the distribution of your estate. It also enables you to reduce or avoid many of the fees and the taxes that will be imposed on your death.
2: Isn't it true also that a living trust completely avoids probate, so that your estate would be available to your heirs immediately upon your death without delays or expensive court proceedings that accompany the probate process? That's correct, isn't
1: it? That's right. What is a trust? Well, a trust actually, Linda, is a legal arrangement under which one person or institution controls property given by another person for the benefit of a third party. The person giving the property is called the trustor. The person controlling the property is called the trustee. And the person for whom the trust operates is called the beneficiary. Now, a living trust is simply a trust that's established while you're alive. A trust... That's established at time of death is called a testamentary trust.
2: Okay. So before you panic at the thought of giving up control of your assets to a stranger, remember this, that you are allowed to be the trustor, the person giving the property and the trustee, the person controlling the subsequent trust. This means that you can maintain full control over all the assets that you place into the trust,
1: right? Right. You don't have to panic about giving up control. Exactly how does it work? Well, when you set up a living trust, you transfer the ownership of all the assets that you want placed in the trust from you as an individual to you as trustee of your trust. Legally, your trust owns the assets with you as the trustee. With the assets no longer in your personal name, guess what? There's nothing to probate when you die.
2: So you save a few dollars, right? (laughs) And since you are the trustee... You maintain full control over the assets within the trust. You can buy or sell as you see fit. You can even give away assets. Trusts have been used for decades, and establishing a trust is almost always less expensive than the alternative, which is going through probate. Going through
1: probate. Yeah, there are some disadvantages, but I agree that a living trust for many people is an ideal vehicle.
2: If you'll call the office at 872 7000 Eight seven I'll be happy to send you some information. You're listening to Money Matters with the Lewises on News Radio 680 WPTF. If you would like to schedule an appointment, call us at Lewis Financial Management LLC during the week and we'll be happy to schedule an appointment for you and we will we'll be also if you schedule an appointment, we'll be giving you one of three books either The Wealthy Barber Simple Wealth, Inevitable Wealth, or The Middle Class Millionaire. Well, Doug, Linda,
3: revocable trust, that's a heavy topic, one that is probably uh, frequently thought to be so complex. Doug, what are some of the reasons that you like people to think about revocable living trust for themselves?
1: Okay, revocable trust while you're alive to protect yourself if you become incapacitated, so if you, you ha- become incompetent or certain things where you can't handle. I like the living trust that are revocable because you just never know what's going to happen. But there's another kind of trust, a living trust, which is irrevocable.
3: Oh, so when would you want to have an irrevocable living trust?
1: When you're trying to save taxes for a specific reason while you're alive, such as a charitable gift or you want to sell a piece of property and pay no capital gains taxes? Or, oops, looks like we got a call coming in. Let me take Mark's call and I'll come back to this question afterwards, Deborah. Very
3: good. You're listening to Money Matters with Doug, Linda, and Deborah Lewis. Call to make an appointment with Deborah Lewis, certified financial planner of Lewis Financial Management. Call 919 872 7000 or visit our website, dougandlinda.com.
1: Hello, Mark. This is the Lewises. Doug Lewis, Linda Lewis, Deborah Lewis. How can we help you this evening?
4: Hello. How are you? Hi, Mark. Well, here's my question. My wife and I have a friend of ours who has a 16-year-old daughter who started working um, part-time because she's in high school, naturally, and she's picking up every extra hour she can to work. Now, she's also taking personal finance classes in high school, and considering its government education, I have very little faith in that. But it's still a good step. She asked me yesterday, what are some good web mechanisms or tools that she can put money into a little bit here and there to start saving for retirement? Certificates of deposit or savings bonds? Or should she actually open up a stock money market account where she can sit and just put money in and actually (laughs) have good control over it?
1: Well... I can enjoy answering that question because a client of ours just did something like that for his daughter who was... Uh, Twelve. Twelve years old. Okay. And I personally, uh, well, I'll let Deborah tell about her little sister because... Uh,
3: well, I was going to start with the, um, uh, Mark, how old, how old again is, the, is your your friend's daughter? Sixteen. Sixteen. Okay.
4: Sixteen and a half. And, so... Uh, she lives in Virginia. I don't know if it matters, but she lives in Virginia, and they don't take taxes out of her income at oh, 16.
3: Okay.
1: Well, I would say you, you want to begin with... First of all, she legally she can't have the, uh, the investment in her own name. It's got to be a guardian account. So... But that's no problem. We do this all the time for clients and for clients, kids, and everything. It's called the UGMA account, the Uniform Gift to Minors account, or the UTMA account, the Uniform Transfer to Minors account. That's not the question. That's just the account that's there. The the father signs as the custodian or the guardian, and then the money goes in. But I love the idea of her putting the money in on a regular basis because, indeed, if she does, then she gets the ability to compound. And – Obviously, well, maybe not so obviously, the first things that she suggested, a CD, that's an absolute disaster. She should definitely not do that because that's just not suitable for a young one uh, at that age. Uh, I would definitely say that she should be in either a growth and income mutual fund or a growth fund. They let you put money in on a regular basis, sometimes as little as $50 a month. And uh, if she leaves it there— or develops the habit of putting it in on a regular basis and leaving it there. As I started to say, my youngest daughter, who started when she was, golly, how old was Naomi? Easily
3: 14 years old.
1: 14, and she's now in her mid-30s. It's a wonderful thing to see it happening because not only does the money accumulate and grow and compound, but the habit is most important It's the financial habit. So I would say she should be in a growth fund or a growth and income fund. And almost all of the mutual fund companies will allow them to do it. It needs to be in a UGMA account structure.
3: If you hear something tonight that sounds like your situation, call us. Set up an appointment. We can help you. 919-872-7000. 919-872-7000. Okay, great. Does that answer the question, Mark?
4: Yeah, it actually does because I know her mother and stepfather would be more than happy to set something like that up. Now, would that be an opportunity for them in conjunction with what you were just talking about to set up a living trust and and move her as a trustee of the trust when she turns 18?
3: No, sir. Two entirely different topics. But what I would say is, is if she is, um, if she or you or the parents would want a little more information specifically about this situation... Give us a call, 919-872-7000 during the week, or 919-860-9783 tonight. Oh, actually, well, then— No, ended. no, no, no.
1: Call at the office no. better. Yeah, that would <laughs> make sense. Call the office. Sorry yeah. about
3: that. But yeah, call we, us during the week. Because
1: we, we do have clients in the state of Virginia, and we can go ahead and handle that. That's not a problem. She has to do it through someone, but not a living trust. That's the wrong way. You don't do that uh, for— Youngsters, you do that for people who are approaching the age where they might be worried about having a stroke or or retire, post retirement age and so on. Well, Ma-
2: Mark, I just wanted to say it's it's very kind of you to ask this question on behalf of your friends, and I think it's wonderful that young people, um, you know, take time in their young lives and uh, learn the value of a dollar and have opportunities to work at such a young age, but also to learn the discipline and the habit of saving. This is Deborah Lewis of Lewis Financial Management. Call
3: us at 919-872-7000 to set up an appointment to speak about your situation. 919-872-7000. Well, what's new in the world of cash flow planning? Well, Linda, Doug, whether it's early in life... During your career or after the death of a spouse, you really need cash flow planning.
1: Yeah. Actually, over my career, I've met with women who have lost their husbands and because they were never really involved in the family finances, after her husband has passed away, she was overwhelmed. Now, I will say this as an aside, women tend to deal with spousal loss much better than men. But unfortunately, I've had my share of meetings with both widows and widowers who have not managed to take control of their financial situation. And I guess we could touch on some money pitfalls to avoid if indeed you have lost your spouse.
3: I'd say for a first one would be not long after the mourning period and before the insurance check arrives, their surviving spouse becomes very popular among relatives with business ideas.
1: Yes, indeed.
3: You know, the widow is hit up for money for the quote-unquote next hottest business.
1: That is so sad, but it's actually true, Deborah. And then there are the financial bad apples, the people themselves that actually prey on those who are recently widowed. There's a natural inclination among surviving spouses to invest in something called a secure investment offering a regular income that never runs out. There are all kinds of products being pitched to supposedly help accomplish this goal. And sadly, these products tend to enrich the salesperson rather than you, the investor. I think it was Ken Fisher, the CEO of Fisher Investments, he said that buying an annuity, instead you might just as well... Give the salesperson the money to put his kids through private school.
3: Yeah,
1: uh, there. It's just a sad thing that there are those who prey upon the widows with this aspect of a secure income.
2: Is, is that because of the commission that the person gets there's the that and,
1: and, and, and the annuity sometimes is the worst investment there are other ways to get secure uh, to get a secure income stream rather than giving up your principal giving up your investment
3: right That's frequently it's just the it's just the wrong investment upon receipt of a large sum of money from an insurance policy do nothing with the money for three
1: to four months I believe we should always follow that principle advising our clients.
3: If you need help, call me, Deborah Lewis, 919-872-7000, 919-872-7000.
2: Just stick it in the bank.
1: Right. Don't
2: make any rash or impulsive purchases or even purchase investments until you, whether you're a widow or a widower, until you feel like you're in control and you're making rational decisions. That's right. We've seen many instances where
3: a surviving spouse receives a large death benefit and then squanders it immediately, you know, by buying all these things that were, quote unquote, needed to be bought. Or they may even just give overly large gifts to the children to try and help them out. Nothing against helping children, but make sure you have enough for yourself first.
1: Yeah, that's exactly right, Deborah. Before making any investment or gifting decisions, it's important to figure out how much money is needed on a monthly basis, wait a few months to try to determine how much money that you need to live on. And the reason to wait a while is that you may have all kinds of immediate expenses that are going to skew your budget and give you an inflated figure of what you need. And then after things calm down, then you can start to track those expenses. Of course, in our office, that's exactly what we do with our widows and our widowers. We start tracking those expenses Break down the expenses. Break them down to those which are monthly and those which are annual one-timers. And once you've got all that organized, then write down all of your various sources of income. Your salary, your Social Security, any pension or rental income. And this means that once you know how much money enters into your bank account each month, you can create a budget that limits your spending of what goes out of the bank account to the amount that comes in.
3: That's right. After defining cash flow needs, investment allocation decisions can be made. If income is less than expenses, the money can be invested to generate income to cover, to cover, to supplement the monthly shortfall. Conversely, if expenses are lower than current income, more growth can be
2: allocated to the portfolio. You know, the death of a spouse is emotionally devastating, but. You need to continue living your life. So, by avoiding certain traps and implementing these tips, you can start taking control of your financial situation, which to some degree will help enable the healing to begin. It's really true, isn't it, Doug? Isn't it, Deborah? It really is. You just got to
3: slow it down, take an assessment. Take a couple months to know what those monthly living expenses are. Where's the reoccurring monthly income coming from? What are the reoccurring monthly expenses going out? Matching that up, then you'll know what you need.
1: And we are the Lewis family. We're here to help you in any situation that you have. Remember, you can also go to our website, DougAndLinda.com. That's DougAndLinda.com. In addition... We'd like to remind all of our listeners that those who call the office for appointments this coming week will receive a free book. We will either give you a book called The Wealthy Barber or one called Simple Wealth, Inevitable Wealth or one called Middle Class Millionaire. We have been enjoying giving these books to clients who came in in recent weeks. And we always want to remind our listeners that your money matters because your financial future is at stake.
2: Well, Doug, what's new in the area of investment planning?
1: Well, investments, of course, are always the hot topic in people's minds. I think a lot of people are really uh, asking uh, a lot of questions about mutual funds, wouldn't you say?
2: Yes, indeed. There are 10 questions that people often ask about investing in mutual funds.
1: 10 questions. Yes, indeed. And one of the questions
2: is, why do mutual funds make sense for so many investors?
1: Yeah, I guess that's the basic question people have. Why does it make sense for so many? Well, you know, Lynn, mutual funds offers some distinct advantages, don't they?
2: They certainly do. And whether your goal is a comfortable retirement or education, travel, a new home, or simply to accumulate money for a rainy day, there are mutual funds that can help persons achieve these objectives.
1: I guess the first advantage that mutual funds offer is professional management. They offer the ability to go ahead and have a professional manager, right? Right, and diversification. Is another advantage. And of course, quick access to your money.
2: And the last thing is, there's a wide range of
1: convenient services. So I guess those are the real reasons that that draw most people to mutual funds. Uh, of course, after you get into mutual funds, the question then is, what kind of choices do you have? What are your choices?
2: Well, mutual funds generally fall into four main categories. There are funds that invest in stocks. Uh, there are funds that invest in bonds. And there are funds that invest in short-term money, uh, money market securities.
1: Right. And it's all kinds of combinations of those. Basically, once you get past your money market funds, you can move into your different kinds of bond funds. Now, we've got the intermediate-term bond funds, right?
2: Yes. And we have the long-term
1: bond funds. And then, of course, we've got the high-yield bond funds. Those are also known as the junk bond funds. And then, and then there
2: are balance funds and equity income funds.
1: Right. And then there are growth and in income funds. And growth funds. Right. So you've got lots and lots of choices, which is the second reason that people, second question people ask uh, about mutual funds, what choices are available?
2: The third question that people often ask about mutual funds
1: are, uh, which funds are right for me? I think that's a very common question. If you're not asking it, you ought to ask it. What funds are right for you? Well, you have to ask yourself some other questions. What are your goals?
3: Call me, Deborah Lewis, Certified Financial Planner of Lewis Financial Management, 919-872-7000, 919-872-7000. Yeah, people do need to look at
1: what are their goals and what is your time horizon? Right, your goals, your time horizon, and also, Lynn... What is your risk tolerance? Exactly. What's your risk tolerance? How much fluctuation can you stand? What's your stomach going to say when things go up and down?
2: And what are your financial circumstances?
1: Right. you got to get those questions answered to find out which funds are right for you.
2: Do you have other savings or investments besides the money that you want to invest in a mutual fund? And does does your spouse have money set aside? So you need to figure out all these things.
1: Right. Now, the fourth question I guess that people ask about mutual funds is why should they invest internationally? Because mutual funds invest outside the United States as well as inside the United States, and the ones that invest outside the U.S. offer investors a number of advantages, right? And uh,
2: diversification is foremost. uh, It's a sound reason for overseas investing. The economies move in different cycles and rhythms, and when you combine U.S. stocks or bonds with overseas investments, you can cushion against the full impact of the down markets that that can happen in any one country.
1: Right. Investing internationally also gives U.S. investors access to markets they couldn't enter by themselves. Uh, One single international mutual fund may have stocks in Germany, Japan, Singapore, Brazil, and even China and Poland.
2: And international mutual funds offer investors new opportunities since more than two-thirds of the world's stocks originate and trade outside the United States. Now, the fifth question that people often ask about mutual funds is, what are the best uses of my dividends?
1: Right, Lynn. The dividends are a play that can be used or not used. Either you reinvest them or you keep them, and it depends on your circumstances. No doubt about that, the question of dividends needs to be addressed.
2: Now, the sixth question that is often asked about mutual funds is, is
1: now a good time to invest? It's a big question that always comes up, always comes up in any discussion of investing. The problem is that no one can predict what the financial markets will do from week to week, month to month, or even year to year. So just about any time is a good time to begin a long-term investment program. If you believe that the world's economies will continue to grow and that many companies will benefit, then just do it. For most long-term investors, the key has been not when they invested, but did they invest? So the seventh question, if we've covered six questions already, let me see. What would be a seventh question? I guess, um, uh, why do mutual funds make sense for a retirement program?
2: Diversification. If you own a diverse mix of assets, it's a good technique to manage volatility, and that's especially important when it comes to retirement assets.
1: Right. Now, the eighth question, I guess, that people are going to ask, if I could come up with a question, would be how I can use my mutual funds to customize my financial plan.
2: Mutual funds are not simply investments. They also offer a convenient way to structure a financial plan.
1: Yeah, so, here's like building retirement, yeah, building a retirement nest egg or a college education fund, that's part of financial planning.
2: And paying for your
1: retirement or child's college education and taking advantage of power of the power of compounding and uh, things like cross reinvestment. So, there's lots of financial planning strategies that mutual funds offer.
2: Well, let's look at the last question that people most
1: ask about mutual funds. Which would be what? How do I get started? Exactly. I guess a lot of people get that right after that, and they say, well, how do they get started? And I guess the first step is to sit down with a financial advisor, a certified financial planner, who can help you select the specific mutual funds that are right. Uh, but professional advice, uh, whether it be from a lawyer, a doctor, or a financial advisor, is seldom free. So your financial planner is going to need to be paid. And if you want to go ahead and uh, get good advice, you should be prepared to pay for that advice. So I would say if we've summarized 10 good questions like that, that's probably uh, what's on the minds of most people. Uh, Why do mutual funds make sense for so many investors? How can you use mutual funds to customize a financial plan? What kind of choices are out there? What funds are right for me? Why should I invest internationally? Is it a good time to invest now? What's the best use of dividends? Uh, why mutual funds make sense for retirement plans? How to keep track of investments and how to get started? And that's probably uh, that's I think you're right, Lynn. Those are probably the main ten questions.
2: And if you'd like any more information, our number in Raleigh is eight seven two seven thousand, and I'll be happy to send you some information.